0: well good morning and happy almost july 4th right happy 4th this is where you say happy 4th to you pastor yeah feeling the love all right yeah i I, i've prayed y'all guys have a, a great week use sunscreen and uh, if you play with fireworks, bring all your fingers back next week for worship, okay? Let's, ha- let's have a great, wonderful week out there. Hey, listen, I, I do want to share something with you. You know, there's pros and cons to everything in life, right? And, and that's true with-, with church, maybe a church of our size, you know, in a church our size. Sometimes it's hard to feel like a family. It's hard to start calling out names because for every name you mention, you miss five others, and uh, that—that's the hard part. But I do want to mention today our, our family has had a had a rough week, uh, especially even in our choir. But uh, I know a lot of you know Charlie and Janet Toombs, longtime members of the church. Their daughter passed away Friday morning, and then uh, Deborah Andrews in the choir, her husband after a battle with cancer, passed away also Friday morning. As a matter of fact, Friday morning or not Saturday morning, and then. Uh, the John Hensley who directed our choir and orchestra this morning, uh, John and Chris, uh, their son Andrew uh, was was robbed and, and beaten and shot and thrown into a dumpster to, to die and fortunately he was, he was found, he's in the hospital now. He is uh, critical uh, but stable, uh, kind of hanging on to, to life right there and so I just want to Put those family names out there—the the Tombs, the Andrews, and the Hensleys—and if you'd remember them in prayer and, and what they've got going on uh, right now, so let's let's be praying for them as a, as a church family. So we are we are continuing today our series uh, from the great apostle Peter, his letters that he wrote to to you and to me, and uh, you know I, I'll be honest with you folks. I, you know the Bible says, "Do to others as you'd have them do to you," right? And I have to confess, I I, I, I sin in that way. I, I don't always do for others what I would want done for me. Because I, I really remember sitting where you're sitting. And like when I was young and and even coming into adulthood, young adulthood, I would sit out there. And it just seems like this would be a kind of Sunday, you know, it's the 4th, it's the middle of summer. I mean, surely the pastor will just kind of give us something you know, and just get us on our way. A little sermonette, just a little something. Man, I hope for you a pastor like that one day. I I really do, because this doesn't seem like it should be a heavy day or a a, a long day, but uh, we got a pretty hefty passage in front of us. I I just, I'm sorry, Um, but let's go ahead and turn there now. First Peter. Chapter 2, verse 13. 1 Peter, chapter 2, verse 13. And the the passage we're going to look at today, and it's a a bit of a long passage, we're going to look at at four or five different subjects. And and it really should be treated, and and when I say should, I mean really, should be treated as four or five different sermons. Not not only are there four or five different topics here, but, but in each section, in each topic, there's a lot uh, th- there's a lot to unwrap, to, to understand, to, to figure out how we're going to do and how we're going to apply. And, and yet, as you've probably figured out, I'm going to take it as one message. Because while there are four or five different relationships here, I, I believe there is a thread that, that kind of runs through all of them, that, that ties them together. And I see that thread coming out of 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12 from last week. You remember, we learned we've got this incredible identity. We are, as, as you just heard David praying, we're priests. We're God's priests and, and, and we're God's very own possession. And in that, you and I have this incredible purpose where every situation that we live and, and really every relationship that we live is an opportunity to display God. It's an opportunity to have people watching us and end up praising God, not watch our life and end up dismissing God. And so when you look in light of our of who we are, you look in light of the purpose we have. Peter ended last week's passage in verse 12 there saying, hey, you guys, you got to guard your behavior. There, there's, un, there's unbelievers watching you and, and, and we want to be able to display God. That's what our purpose is here. And, and you know what? It, it, it dawned on me going through this this week. If I don't believe in heaven, if I don't believe in eternity, and there may be some in here today for, yeah, I'm not not sure what I believe about all that, but if you don't believe in heaven, if you don't believe in eternity, then you're not going to like almost anything in this passage. You're going to see it as wrong. You're going to see it as unfair. I mean, if if there is no heaven... If there is no eternity, then what I've got is today, what I've got is this moment, and, and honestly, if all I've got is this moment, I want it to be the moment I want. Not the moment you want, the, mo- the moment I want. And, and see, the Bible, when it gives us these things, it's assuming that we believe, that we understand this moment's not our moment. This day is not our big prize. That's coming. And so when we understand that, then I can pick up this moment. I can pick up this relationship and and I can do with it a greater purpose, a a more eternal purpose. And so, well, you've got to understand that as you walk into these passages and boy, folks, these passages, the passage I'm going to read is going to cover probably in most of our Bibles, two pages. Two pages. And I would put these two pages in the top three reasons, pages, where people read them and say, I do not believe in the Bible anymore. We're, we're going to read two pages that people walk away, from. people in church, churches walk away, because these are difficult passages, and some of them don't sound right. They certainly do not sound politically correct, and it's like, this, this isn't right? Now, I hope I'm going to be able to clear some of that up. I, I, I believe they walk away because they misunderstand, they, they misinterpret, they misapply. But folks, you know what? Even in that, I want to say the Bible, in all of its ra- ra- rawness, it still is a path that works. And it's never failed anybody. So when you and I as an individual or we as a people, we walk away from this, what is it we're going to Because there's not another person, there's not another way out there that has shown an answer that actually works. I made this comment a couple of weeks ago. You know, we've been around for 10,000 years. Do you realize we haven't fixed anything as humans? Having an iPhone doesn't mean we have fixed anything. Every single relational problem that was between people 10,000 years ago, every single one of those problems is here today. So when we leave this, because what? We've got now a better understanding? We've got a a, a better way? No, not, not really. This is the path. That works. So let's dive into it. First Peter chapter two verse thirteen. Let me say real quickly because I've been asked every Sunday since we've been in Peter, what are you reading out of? I'm using during our our series on Peter the New Living Translation. Normally I preach out of or the verses that you'll see on the screen uh, is the English Standard Version, the ESV. That's normally what I'm working out of. I'm reading out of the New Living Translation because if you haven't noticed already, we're reading the entire passage every week. We're going to read out loud both of these letters as we go through it. And so the readings are a bit long and sometimes they're a little bit difficult. The New Living Translation is just the easiest to listen to. If you're following it, you notice many of the same words and ideas, but, but it just reads a little bit smoother. So that's why I've been doing that. If you're reading from a Bible app, mo- most Bible apps, you can choose different translations. So I'm, I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. So let me begin. First Peter chapter two, verse 13. For the Lord's sake. Now let me just stop right there. And boy, that right there, that's a bad sign, right? We have four words into it and we've stopped. But that's how you need to read everything we're about to read. We're not doing it for the other person. We're not doing it for that group of people. It is for the Lord's sake that we're going to do any of these things. It's, it's because of His love and His goodness that we'll take on these ideas, these commands. For the Lord's sake, submit to all human authority whether the king is head of state or the officials he has appointed, for the king has sent them to punish those who do wrong and to honor those who do right. It's God's will that your honorable lives... Now, see, that draws us right back to First Peter 2.12, right? Man, you've got to watch the way you're living. Remember the opportunity that your lives have. Okay, now verse 15. It's God's will that your honorable lives should silence those ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you. So that's the second way to understand what we're reading. While living for the Lord can bring some pain, can bring some mockery, they even kill some of us. Still, this is God's giving us, when you live by these ideas, you'll hold at bay a lot of attack. You'll hold at bay a, a, a lot of suffering. That's, that, that's what God's mindset is when he's giving us this. Verse 16, for you are free, yet you are God's slaves. So don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. Respect everyone, love the family of believers, fear God, and respect the king. You who are slaves must submit to your masters with all respect. Do what they tell you, not only if they are kind and reasonable, but even if they are cruel. Now, see, there's nothing about that last verse that sounded right, did it? Okay, we're going to come back to that. Verse 19, for God is pleased when conscious of his will, you patiently endure unjust treatment. Of course, you get no credit for being patient if you're beaten for doing wrong. But if you suffer for doing good and endure it patiently, God is pleased with you. For God called you to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. He's your example, and you must follow in his steps. Now, that's a third way to understand everything we're reading. How do I follow in the steps of Jesus? What does that look like? What is that? That's what we're reading. This is what it looks like. This is what it means to follow in his steps. What, well, what was he like? Verse 22, well, he never sinned. He didn't deceive anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted. He did not threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God. Man, what if we just took that phrase and applied that to every one of our relationships? I'm going to leave my case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. He personally carried our sins in his body. Folks, we're going to read a lot. Man, that's not fair. Why would I do that? That's not fair. That's not fair. Hey, you know what? What Christ did for you wasn't fair either, was it? It was not fair that he carried your sins in his body, but he did, and he carried them to the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds, you are healed. Once you were like sheep who wandered away, but now you've turned to your shepherd, the guardian of your souls. In the same way, you wives. Now, when you see that phrase, in the same way or likewise, it's connecting. So, in other words, what it's about to say to wives, it is connecting back to what we just read. So, in other words, wives, in the same vein as Christ, in the same attitude as Jesus, like Jesus, wives must accept the authority of your husbands. Then, even if some refuse to obey the good news, your godly lives will speak to them without any words. They will be won over by observing your pure and reverent lives. Don't be concerned about the outward beauty of fancy hairstyles, expensive jewelry, or beautiful clothes. I've heard people translate that, churches translate that. Women can't have those things. It's wrong to do. It doesn't say you can't have that. It doesn't say it's wrong to have that. It says don't let that be your emphasis because that's that's the quick and easy way. I just cleaned up something on the outside and I'm good to go. Don't let your focus be getting dressed for a day on what you look like on the outside, but rather let what you look like, verse 4, on the inside. You should clothe yourselves instead with the beauty that comes from within. The unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is so precious to God. This is how the holy women of old made themselves beautiful they put their trust in God and accepted the authority of their husbands. Now, if I haven't, if the scripture hasn't offended you yet, you're going to you're gonna love the next verse. Let's take this ride. For instance, Sarah obeyed her husband, Abraham, and called him her master. I would like love to be on network news and just read that out loud. That's going to go over pretty well, I think. Uh, you are her daughters when you do what is right without fear of what your husbands might do. In the same way, you husbands, in the same way that your wives are responding to Christ, in the same way that Christ was, husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are. Well, you're not supposed to say that out loud. You're supposed to say, no, 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 we're all identical, we're exactly the same. Women are just as strong as men. It's in the Internet how America we've gotten used to just saying things that absolutely bear no truth anywhere, but we just say it and just keep nodding our heads. She is weaker than you, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should so your prayers will not be hindered. Finally, all of you. Now the all of you is the church. Think about what, how he's referred to us through, through these first now three chapters where we're those who've been born again, we're God's priests in this world. So all of you, in other words, this passage, what we're about to read is not for all humanity. He's not saying, okay, all people, here's how you're to treat each other. He's saying, hey, you, inside the church, this is how you are to relate as the world is watching. All of you should be of one mind. Sympathize with each other. Love each other as brothers and sisters. Be tenderhearted and keep a humble attitude. Don't repay evil for evil. That's an interesting command, isn't it? I mean, gosh, I'd like to think in here we don't need to. Be told not to return evil because we would never do evil to one another, would we? Yeah, apparently Peter counted on that. So he said, he said, don't even in here. Yeah, you'll experience people will do wrong. They'll do evil. Don't don't return it. Don't don't act like that other person at church is. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. That's what God has called you to do. And he will grant you his blessing for the scripture say, if you want to enjoy life and see many happy days, would you just shut your mouth? Now, (laughs) not even my translation says that, (laughs) but yeah, it does, doesn't it? Look, Look what it says there. If you want to enjoy life and see many happy days, keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. You know what Proverbs says? Just like take everything you want to say and cut it in half. We just talk too much. Turn away from evil and do good. Search for peace. That's what you're looking for in every conversation, in every relationship, in every situation. Search for peace and work to maintain it. The eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right and his ears are open to their prayers. But the Lord turns his face against those who do evil. Now what we just saw there, I've been saying four or five, I, whether you broke it out and said, okay, there's one section is wives and one section is husband, or you just treat both section as marriage. What you have here is four relationships. You, you've got government, you've got work, and you've got marriage. That's three of the four. If you know something about those four, those three relationships, everybody on the planet is in one of those relationships or affected By those relationships. And everybody on the planet tends to at times gripe about those relationships, right? Those relationships aren't meeting my needs. Those relationships aren't making me happy. Those relationships are awful. So there's three relationships. Peter picks three. ...that seem to be we're all touched by and we all gripe about. And then the fourth relationship is not something that the whole world is in. It's something that only you and I are in. It's the relationship as the body of Christ. The church which is on display for who? All the world. All the unbelievers. And boy, what we read in this is is hard. It's hard to do that. We might even say it's unfair to do some of these things. But remember... Our goal is not what's easy. Our goal is not what's fair. Uh, Yeah, I just said that. Our goal is not what's fair. Our goal is that in how we live, somebody might see us and end up praising God and that affecting eternity. We're not, we're not doing something that's what we get for this moment. We're doing something that affects and touches eternity. That's the instruction, the, the wisdom here that God is giving. So let's walk through these relationships. As to government, we're model citizens, right? We're model citizens, right? I mean, y'all are dead today. It's getting kind of discouraging. I'm going to be real honest. I feel like a dancing monkey up here. Okay. We're a model. Now, what does that mean? Well, it means we obey the laws, right? We obey the law. By the way, obeying laws means observing the traffic signs. (laughs) Yeah. I I, I need to hear that as much as... Okay, we observe the laws, obey traffic signs. We pay our taxes. We we are good members of community. Probably no real shock to hear that said. but, But this would also be included. We respect... We respect and we honor all authorities out there. That's, Boy, folks, when it comes to the Christian life, that's what we do. We respect and we honor authority. We respect the police. We honor the school board. We, we respect the governor, the president, the Congress, the assembly, the, the courts. We honor and respect these things. That's what we do. Now, here's the problem. There's individuals out there or there's groups out there that when holding these positions do things that are dishonorable, right? They do things that are dishonorable or or, or things that hurt us. I mean, has God lost his mind here? Doesn't he know that? Yeah, He he, he does know that. This passage is not justifying all governments. It's not justifying any one leader. It's not justifying the laws that we interact. It's telling you and I how to navigate it. You see, as Americans, we are going to read this passage very differently than almost any other believer in Christian history. Because, see, most people have zero say about what their government is doing. Their government could be the worst evil form of government there could possibly be, and a believer has nothing to say or do about that. This isn't about how you change a government or a job or a mate; it's how you navigate it. You know what God's dealing with here, folks? Is reality. See, a lot of religion just wants to throw up ideals and say, "Be, be idealistic. Be, be per- that." Okay, that's fine, but it's not real. So you and I go charging out of here tomorrow to be perfect, but that government's there. That boss is there. How how do we... God's giving us instruction on reality. And he's saying, hey, you want to navigate this, you've got to be respectful. You've got to be honorable. That won't necessarily hold at bay all evil, but it'll hold at bay a lot of evil. Does this passage mean, now speaking of American Christians, does this mean we can never disagree? Does this mean we can never say that's wrong? No, it doesn't mean that. We, we can disagree. We can move and work for change. But when we do, we're going to do it inside of respect. We're going to do it inside of the laws. You know, as, as Christians have navigated all kinds of governments, all kinds of, of leaders throughout history, I, I would assume, wouldn't you, that most believers are saying, Dear Lord, help me. Dear Lord, help us. You know what God's kind of saying with this passage? I will help you unless you're taking a route that dishonors a route of rebellion, a route of anarchy, a a, a route of disrespect. If your actions, if your conversations can be described by those words, let me promise you this. I am not with you. I'm not with you. I'm not protecting you. I will not help you do that because none of those words describe me. What is describing you, God? That's why I'm here. Whatever, God, whatever government God plants me under, I'm here for one reason, to show God and to lead people to worshiping him. I'm not here to make a government what I want it. I'm here to show God. So whatever way I'm going to handle a government and my relationship, I'm going to do it inside the law and I'm going to do it honorably. You know, funny, folks, the funny thing is this passage on this wonderful red, white, and blue July 4th week, I wouldn't call this a patriotic passage. This passage isn't about love of country and, and waving our... That's not what this passage is about at all. I would dare say a Christian ought to be most in tune with the injustices and wrongs of whatever nation they're living in or whatever government they're under. Why? Why would we be most in tune with that? Because we most know God's design for government. We most understand what justice is to be. So at the very minimum, I want to be in touch with what's going on in my nation so I know how to pray about it. And if it's something near me, something I can put my hands on, I can be there to help and to minister. So this isn't just wave your flag and love love your country. No, it's how to navigate the country that you live in. You know, folks, the scripture uses a, you know, we, we talked last week about we're priests. You know another word the scripture uses to describe us? Ambassador. This isn't my home. This isn't my country. I'm an ambassador from my home. My home is heaven. I, I I live under the government of heaven. What does an ambassador do? An ambassador is in that nation, in that, that foreign nation for one reason, to represent the government it comes from. I'm not, not here to represent my desires. Not before a government, not before any people. I'm not here to represent my desires. I'm here to represent God's way. I'm here to represent God's word and his, his desires. I, I'm an ambassador. I, this isn't what I live for. I'm going home. The, the, the nation I'm a citizen of is perfect and I'll get back there soon. But while I'm here, we're, we're representing. So can, can we ever march against? Of course we can. But whether I'm waving a flag in love or whether I'm marching in protest, I'm going to do it inside the law, and I'm going to do it inside of respect. Because the biggest thing I'm doing, whether waving the flag or protesting, better be representing God in His ways. So as to government, we're model citizens. Amen? Okay. As to work, same thing. We're model employees. We're going to show up on time. We're not going to steal anything from work. We're not going to run down the company. We're not going to run down the policies. We're not going to run down the boss. We're going to work to be the very best. I don't know if I'll achieve it. I, I might not be named top manager of the month or top salesman of the year, but I'm always working to be the absolute very best employee I can be. Now, you might be hearing me saying that, going, well, now, wait a minute. Where are you seeing work and company? and This is about slaves. And by the way, this sounds horrible. It, It almost sounds like God is okay with slavery. Well, a couple of things first. Number one, I would say the same thing here that we just said about government. This passage isn't justifying government. It's not justifying slavery. It's recognizing the evil that is out there and that we have to navigate Hey, listen, you and I can agree all morning long about what our boss should be like. Is he going to be that way tomorrow? We can agree all day long about what the Bible says government should be this, but then there's reality and there's the government we go out there and live under. So a lot of what God is doing here is just dealing with reality. I mean, yeah, we can talk about the ideals of what could and what should, but then there's reality of what people are dealing with. Now, another way to understand this is to realize that every time you and I hear the word slavery, we can't attach to that just the one picture we know. As Americans, when we hear the word slavery, we think of America 1800s, right? That, that's what comes to our mind. That's not Roman slavery. I'm not saying Roman slavery was wonderful and everyone wanted to be one. I am saying that Roman slavery is not equivalent to 1800s American slavery. If you were to have a a spectrum, I mean, obviously, slavery would be way down here on this end of the work spectrum. And, and, and then down here on this end would be the, like, say, the modern-day employee-employer relationship. That's That's perfect, right? <laughs> and so, you know, you've got slavery down here and what we would call the modern-day work relationship down here. Roman slavery would be about right here. Roman slavery would be much closer to our understanding of a work relationship than it would be 1800s America slavery. So you can't take the pictures and the ideas of that and say, that's what God is talking about here. It's it's not exactly the same thing. In Rome, people were slaves of all races, what wasn't just one race or a racial issue. All races were slaves. People chose to be. Not all of them. Some actually chose that. And, and yes, while slaves would often do the things that nobody else wanted to do, there was also many slaves that were doctors, that were lawyers. Slaves had access to, to money, to resources. To wealth, it was a very different situation. Nothing like that. So don't take that as, as God is justifying that and saying that is okay. No, God is dealing with the reality of evil people and how you and I go out and live in their midst. And you know what? That is even true in a job in America, isn't it? I bet some of us feel like, probably wouldn't be appropriate to use that word, but even feel like I've enslaved I mean, I feel trapped in my job. I can't do anything to get out of it. And that, that person is wrongly presenting me to higher-ups, is is not given the credit due. And it, it's affecting my income. It's affecting what I could be getting paid. And I mean, there can be some real bad situations. What do I do there? Honor and respect. I mean, hey, at least we... At times we can get out from under a boss, we can get out a, a, of a job, but for whatever moment that I'm under that boss, for whatever moment that I'm in that job, I'm going to be the best employee. You know why? Because surrounding me at work are unbelievers who are also under that boss, who are also looking for answers, who are also want to get out from under. What an opportunity there to pick up and show who God can be and what God can be in this moment. Now, you know, a good question here under these governments, under these bosses, do they ever ask us as Christians to do things that are expressly forbidden in Scripture? Yes. (laughs) Yes, that does happen. What do we do then? What does honor and respect look like then? I'm glad you asked, because at the end of the summer... You remember when I introduced this series, I said, when we're all done looking at first and second Peter, we're going to go to two stories in the Old Testament, really well-known kind of favorite stories, and we're going to look at those two stories through the lens of what we've learned in Peter. And that's one of them we're going to be looking at. So come back in August. Don't wait till August. We'll be here next week. But but in August, we'll come back and we'll look at that and we'll see what do, what do you do when, when an authority above you is asking you to do something against scripture. Okay, now our next relationship, marriage. You know what what we've got a chance in marriage to do? To show the world God's love. To show the world how wonderful and good and full and perfect God's love is and marriage is the primary relationship that we can do that. And both the man and the woman, now I'm pulling more from Ephesians 5 right at the moment than 1 Peter 3. Both the man and the woman have an opportunity to express a different aspect of God's love. The man, God says, hey, I want you to show the world, I want you to show your wife, I want you to show your family the sacrificial part of my love, the part where you sacrifice all your desires, you sacrifice all your needs to serve first and foremost your wife, your wife's desires and your wife's needs. That means you're gonna become a student of her. You're gonna study her so you know best how to meet that need. And if it even means sacrificing you will do that. So the, the husband is going to pick up that word sacrifice. And then, and then the woman is going to pick up the word. Oh, it's a horrible, nasty, very in, politically incorrect word. The word submit. Which, by the way, I don't think is better or worse than sacrifice. Both words equally challenging. But you're, you're going to submit. By the way, Ephesians 5.21, all believers submit to one another. All members of a home submit to one another. What is Christ modeling for us? Submission. He submitted to the Father to come get you. Hey, that's not fair. (laughs) Couldn't he have said that's not fair? That's not right. He submitted to the desire of the Father and the way of the Father to come get you. It was God's submission. It was the submissive part of his love that come and rescued you and me. So, wives, I want you to pick up that aspect. So, as a husband and a wife, that's what we're displaying. Now, before we unwrap those, the First Peter a little bit more, I, I, I want to start with the husbands. Let, let's start in verse 7. And, wow, Peter, you, just, you cannot say that women are weaker than men. That's just you can't say that today. But when we get over being politically correct, women are weaker than men, right? I mean, can we just keep that in here? Don't tweet that. (laughs) Women are weaker than men. And you know, here's a reality. Because they're weaker than men, it's pretty easy for us to abuse them, overpower them, rape them, beat them, and just generally take advantage of them any way that we want. And pretty much that's what masculinity has done throughout human history you see women are not equal they're not physically equal and because they're not physically equal it has allowed humanity to make them legally unequal Culturally unequal? Now, we live in America and we're smarter than everybody else and better than... So we've evolved to the place where, you know, we're now getting that worked out. No, actually, it was 2,000 years ago that God said women are equal. Hollywood's catching up to the Bible. Peter didn't say this because of a hashtag movement. Peter didn't say this because the Constitution demanded it. Peter said this because God declared it from the very beginning. And he said, men, first and foremost, when the world watches you relate with your wife, they should see there is an equal. You know what's funny is is our culture today, even in church, would walk away from this passage. I don't know about this Bible. The funny thing is when Peter wrote it in the 60s AD, people also walked away from it and said, I don't know about that. For the exact opposite reason. See Peter wrote that in a culture. Where women were not only physically unequal. They were not equal before the law. They were not equal in court. And if it was bad and abusive at home. Guess where it went outside of the home. Even worse. It's vulnerable to be a a woman in this world. There's no culture. There's no law. There's no physicalness to protect. And God says no. That's not right for us. The world's going to see something very different in how we understand women. So before we walk away from Scripture because it's male chauvinistic and, and kind of like caveman-like, let's remember it's God who said from the very beginning, women are equal. And as you understand that equality, you, it, it says there you live with her in an understanding way. You treat her in an understanding way. You know... Guys, I know a lot of us, we've handled a football like a football, right? Maybe this week we'll, we'll be out passing on the beach or at the lake or just at the park. And if we make a really good catch, woo, 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 boom, we're going to spike that ball, right? Because I'm a man, I can do that. You know, but if you ever had a chance to hold an, an, another foot, there's a football out there that if you had a chance to handle it, you would never spike it. Just, just too valuable, that, that, that'd be that that crystal football that the NCAA national champion gets each year. Man, if you got to hold that football, you're not going to spot... They're both footballs. No, 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 one's very different. And unfortunately, one always seems to land in the hand of the Crimson Tide. But, it, it, you, you know, they're two very... Both footballs, but one's very... That's what the Scripture's talking about here. You know, in understanding her... You treat her with this high value, this respect, that honor. You honor her. That's what the world should be watching. The world needs to learn how to treat women by the way they watch you with your wife. And boy, you talk about a tough word. I know wives, were looking at what you have to absorb, but I I mean, I've always been, I don't want to say bothered, but it seems like God says something there to us that, Lord, why don't you say that to her? Do you see how verse seven ends? "Hey, men, don't think for one second you're right with God if you're not right with your wife. Don't think for one second things are okay this way when things aren't right between you and your wife." So that husband's your role is to show the equality of, of, of a woman. Your role is to sacrifice for her, and wives your role is to submit. It's to obey. It's to respect authority. You know, two Januaries ago, I did a, a series on honor. And I, I laid out all the places, the different kinds of ways. God, God's real big into structure. And He's real big into honoring and, and, and how we do that. And what, the, and what we learned is it rarely has anything to do with what the, the person one rung above me deserves. It's that God loves when we honor and he's saying, wives, would you pick this up and model it for the church? Would you model it for your home? Hey, you know what, moms, we're, we're raising children and we're raising them to go out into a world that's pretty bad, right? And what God wants them to do when they get out into that world is honor and respect the government, honor and respect situations at work and the bosses and that's going to be hard and so you we need to start training them from the very get-go in how they do that is that what we're training our kids to do I'm not talking about a lecture I'm talking about what we model because you know what our kids have seen in 100% of our homes here at church in 100% of our homes our kids have observed and witnessed sitting at the kitchen table and listening to mom and dad run down every single authority figure in life. They've heard us mock them. They've heard us make fun of them. They've heard us say they're wrong. And in some cases, maybe even steer their kids to not respect. Who do we not? That teacher is so stupid. That coach doesn't have a clue what he's doing. And then we just work down on the president, the, the government. It sounds a little ser- self-serving. The pastor. Obviously, they hear us talking about work and our boss. Who in your life has your child heard you not run down? I really feel super confident that 100% of this room, our kids have heard our homes bash every form of authority there is. And you know what? Every generation goes a little further, Right? And so then we're shocked. I don't know, why are my kids rejecting the Bible? Why are they rejecting God and, and this authority? Because it's what we've really shown them. authority's is not to be trusted. Authority is stupid. Authority is in the way of you being happy. Okay, all of a sudden, that puts a little bit of a new spin on, okay, wives, here's your assignment. Folks, every one of these passages is not about making your life miserable or hard. These passages are dealing with the reality of the world we live in, how we navigate it, how we train, how we let people see God, because we're moving toward where we're really ultimately going. And it's not a better day tomorrow. It's heaven. That's where we're ultimately going. Now, one more relationship. I've already gone too long. We need to wrap up. But if I could just finish, you see there it says finally in verse 8. And it talks about our relationship in the church. What is the relationship in the church? What's unique about that 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 the world witnesses? And you say sympathize, be tenderhearted, be loving, work toward peace. Well, we would want to do that in all relationships, wouldn't we? We'd, we'd want that to be the case inside the church, outside the church. There's, there's nothing unique about us being the church pursuing those except this. This is what's unique about our relationships is we're going to do that for people who are different from us. We're going to seek to love and serve and become one with people who are not like us. You know what, folks? We hang out with people who are like us. That, that, again, that's a reality of life. The way I like to think it, the people you barbecue with, the people who are in your backyard and you barbecue with, I'll bet you anything, they're pretty close in financial status. They're pretty close in education. They're pretty close in political views. They're pretty close in religious views. I mean, every now and then you'll let an oddball slip in there, right? Because you're doing something special. But but week in and week out, who you relate with, who you barbecue with is just is just like you. And you, a lot of times, especially at church, you know, we'll kind of beat that idea up. That's what makes us racist and all these other... I, I actually don't think that's right or wrong. It's I, just neutral. It's just reality. I'm just trying to relax and have fun. And when I'm with people who I'm not like, that's, there's always a little bit of conflict, a little bit of tension there. Now, we've learned to get along, and some of us even very genuinely, with people who are not. I mean, we do it at school, Right? We, we do it at work, right? And, 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 but in those places, there's always an element of a little bit of being forced to. We're, we're forced if I want to keep my job, if I want to stay in school, I've got. And, and I, I would trust that a lot of us have moved beyond being forced to to where we genuinely do that. But you know, when the body of Christ has gathered throughout history? We're actually getting together with people, choosing to relate with people that that nothing outside is forcing us to. We're doing this voluntarily. I am voluntarily loving and serving people who aren't like me. I mean, folks, you look across the spectrum of our church. We cover, I'm guessing, pretty much the full spectrum of financial status we cover a full spectrum of educational status. We cover a, a full spectrum of political status. What's wrong with you? We cover a full spectrum. Of, I mean, however you measure it. We, we cover a spectrum of nationalities. A, a, a spectrum of races. And we chose to pull in here anyway. And not, not just for an hour. But, but for a lot of us to live and serve and follow Christ together. That's what God wants the world observing. No, no thing I had to do then forced me to relate with you. We chose to be here. We chose to do this together. That, that's what we model. I'd like to think of the assignments we've been given today. That, that should be the easier one, right? But again, folks, you look at these assignments. They're, they're difficult. They're hard. If all I'm living for is this moment, if all I have is this moment, I, I don't think you do that i don 't think you do that if all I have in this moment, my job is to get on type top, take advantage of you, get what I want out of this moment because that 's all i 've got is is this moment, but you you know if you and I know we've got we 've got the wealth of heaven we 've got eternal life we 've got the presence of God, maybe in this moment I see something bigger and more important, and folks, Peter lays out first relationships not. Only relationship that we're all in, but relationships that almost every human soul wants answers to, that almost every human soul wants help in, and so maybe you and I, we pick that, we take the hard assignments, the ones where it can really be unfair. We take the hard assignments and say, "Hey, Lord, I'll model this. I'll model Your love. I'll model Your wisdom. I'll model Your way," and not in every place. But with all of our lives there's an opportunity for a few places where doing that may touch eternity for somebody. Well, you know, it kinda of goes back if <laughs> if you don't believe in heaven, there's no reason to do any of this. If this is all you've got. Well, I sure hope. I sure hope this isn't all you've got. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, would you uh, would you help us to open our eyes and our heart and look at all of our relationships in a brand new way? And Lord, you know, sitting here in church and, and looking at our relationships from thirty thousand feet, I, I can I can take this on, I can absorb it. The problem is when I actually get into that conversation. The the problem is when I actually see my my boss Take what I did and give credit to somebody else and how that affects maybe the next three years. Lord, there's a lot of places when we get down into it. This really seems awfully hard. God, for those of us that possess it, may we enjoy and appreciate and celebrate what we have in you, what we have in heaven In a whole new way so that it really does begin to shape how we pick up this moment and this day. And what can be the purpose of it. We ask for your help in that. We pray that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.